We're going to be in the early portions of Luke chapter 6 today. At the end of this message, we're going to give you an opportunity to share in the Lord's Supper. We'll be doing that live together at our Sunday morning service. But if you're doing this online, perhaps you can make plans to share with your family around communion, figure out how to do the elements, the fruit of the vine together, and maybe read through 1 Corinthians 11, the latter portion of that chapter, to prepare yourself and those with you to share in the communion elements together. Oh my, the things churches and Christians debate over and sometimes divide over. Throughout church history, it has included things like the nature of Jesus, the Trinity, the place of baptism, the meaning of the Lord's Supper, the way of salvation. The proper date of Easter was a big point of dispute. The relationship of the church to the state, slavery, and speaking in tongues. All of these have been the context for great debates. And now, now it's the wearing of masks in public worship. Who could have envisioned such a debate as that? Or whether to meet for worship outside or indoors or not at all. Sometimes those issues, these issues dissolve into a struggle to find the right balance between competing principles that may both have a certain scriptural validity. Perhaps today we can gain some insight into such things as we read again from the stories of our amazing Savior. We've been looking at chapter 5. We're going to slip in to the early portion of chapter 6 today. Follow along as I read verses 1 to 11. Now it came about that on a certain Sabbath he was passing through some grain fields, and his disciples were picking and eating the heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why do you do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus answering them said, Have you not even read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for any to eat except the priest alone, and gave it to his companions? And he was saying to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And it came about on another Sabbath that he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and there was a man there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he healed on the Sabbath, in order that they might find reason to accuse him. But he knew what they were thinking, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Rise and come forward. And he rose and came forward. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to him, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they themselves were filled with rage and discussed together what they might do to Jesus. So today we sit at the feet of our Master to learn a vital lesson in religion. And essentially, what our Lord gives us in these verses is a contrast between His views on the subject with those of the Judaistic elite. Now, when we use the term Judaism, we're not really referring to Old Testament religion. They were not the same thing. Moses and David were Jewish, but not Judaistic. Judaism, is, as practiced at the time of Jesus, grew up around 500 B.C. after many Jews returned to the area around Jerusalem after the captivity in Babylon. It was loosely based on the Old Testament in principle. The Jews held strongly to the authority of Scripture, but what was called Judaism was a religious system that went well beyond the Old Testament Scriptures. It was adamantly monotheistic, it was nationalistic, it was separatistic, and while we're talking about sticks, it was also ritualistic and legalistic. 
As it evolved, it added more human teachings and inventions and rules so that eventually what was biblical and divine could hardly be seen under the man-made ornaments. Please understand, when Jesus attacks Judaism, he's not attacking the Scripture. Well, here we have it. Jesus versus the Pharisees, a conflict in which we learn that we religious folks must distinguish between man's rules and God's concerns. We religious people must distinguish between man's rules and God's concerns. Plato said the unexamined life is not worth living. Well, Jesus and his disciples didn't have to worry about having an unexamined life, like a United States president to his cabinet. Everything Jesus and his disciples did was carefully scrutinized. One day, a Sabbath day, they were walking through a grain field. And there, they helped themselves to the grain. This is not unusual. Where there were not roads, the common way of travel was to go through the rows of planted corn or grain. And since there were no McDonald's, God had made a provision for hungry travelers that allowed them to eat from the fields through which they journeyed. In Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 25, it says, When you enter your neighbor's standing grain, then you may pluck the heads with your hand, but you shall not wield a sickle in your neighbor's standing grain. Grain. That is, you can, cannot treat the neighbor's field like it's your own personal storeroom, but you could fill your belly. And what the disciples did then was entirely legal from an Old Testament perspective. So why then did the Pharisees challenge Jesus? Well, verse 7 says they were looking for some basis to accuse him. And the issue they used was the Sabbath law, at least as they understood it. The Sabbath it was a major focus for Judaism. The scriptures did teach, of course, a Sabbath day. It did give some guidelines, but these Jewish legalists took those guidelines and blew them up, detailing what you could and could not do on the Sabbath day. And the list came to be quite remarkable. For example, you could not travel more than 2,000 feet from your home unless you put food out on Friday, in which case where your food sat would be regarded as part of your home, and you could go from there another 2,000 feet. You could not carry anything heavier than a dried fig. In short, no work at all was permitted. The laws were intricate, and they were detailed, sometimes bizarre. No jewelry could be worn since, well, it would have weighed more than a dried fig. You could wear a dried fig, but that was not fashionable in those days. So what the Pharisees saw the disciples doing was harvesting on the Sabbath a violation of rabbinic tradition. What Jesus did was heal on the Sabbath, also a violation. Their tradition taught that you could keep a man from dying on the Sabbath, but you couldn't help him get better. You can put on a bandage, but not, not a medicated one. In other words, you have to decide that someone is going to die without your help before you'll be able to administer any kind of medical care. Now, you might think that's, that's crazy, but that was Judaism. Jesus, by word and deed, said, away with your man-made rules. As have other religions, Judaism has buried, had buried God's law beneath a heap of tradition. And this made Jesus quite angry because there is more than one way to dishonor the precepts of God. You can say, as some say, that oh, those, those aren't true or they're not relevant to us, you can ignore the Word of God, the precepts of God, or you can dishonor God by placing human ideas at the same level of authority. 
That's what the Pharisees did. In Matthew chapter 15, we read this. Some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Now, this was a ceremonial washing he was talking about, quite different from the sanitary washing, washing such as we are doing so much of these days. But Jesus was disturbed that they made an issue of this. And look at what he says in verse 3 and following. Why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commandments of God? For instance, God says, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. But you say it's all right for people to say to their parents, Sorry, I can't help you, for I've vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you say they don't need to honor their parents. And so you cancel the Word of God for the sake of your own tradition, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Now that's the point. We must be careful that we do not do that. Now I think it's, it's funny. If you look on down in that same chapter, Matthew 15, verse 12, it says, Then the disciples came to Jesus and asked, do you realize that you offended the Pharisees by what you just said? I'm sure Jesus was crushed to, to learn of this. Jesus replies, every plant not planted by my heavenly Father will be uprooted. So ignore them. They are blind guides leading the blind. And if one blind person guides another, they will both fall into a ditch. The error of the Pharisees was they treated human rules as God's command and they had a misplaced emphasis. Do, do any Christians do that? I'll let you think up your own examples here. I have one just from a recent conversation. A friend of mine who was a Presbyterian elder just shared with me how he was ready to join a Baptist church in his community in North Carolina where he moved. And upon trying to join, he was handed a document that he was asked to sign to be a member. And the document required him to pledge that he would not drink any alcohol, smoke any tobacco, or dance. And he said, well, brothers, this is a problem. I do all three of those things. And their reply was, that's okay to do them, but we still need you to sign the document saying you won't do them. <laughs> Lying was okay, but dancing with your wife was not. Now, you probably have stories of your own like that. The problem with it is that such a focus on man-made religious rules, regulations, devalues and dilutes what God does teach. And, and it can portray our holy Lord as being a nitpicker. Well, let's look again at our text, verse 2. Some of the Pharisees said, Why do you do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Jesus said, Have you not even read what David did when he was hungry? He and those with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for any to eat except the priest alone, and gave it to his companions. So Jesus recounts a story from the 21st chapter of 1 Samuel. David and his men were growing weak from hunger, and they stopped off at a particular worship center where he and his boys ate the bread of the presence. The act violated the ceremonial law, which said that only the priests were allowed to eat that bread. David violated a divinely sanctioned ceremonial provision. Jesus was ignoring a humanly instituted ceremonial rule. David's act was harder to justify than what Jesus did. But what David did 
was fine as well. Friends, not all of God's commands are of equal weight. They just are not. Some are closer to His heart, more critical for human thriving than others, and you can be sure that God places human well-being before ceremonies. And that's what Christ is trying to show them in verse 9. They, they weren't really sure, but in verse 9 again, He says, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to destroy it? And believe it or not, they didn't know how to answer it. But uh, back in verse 5, he had said, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, that's an incredible claim. But Jesus reminds us there why it isn't wise to ever argue Bible doctrine with Jesus. That would be like debating the intention of the Bill of Rights with James Madison. The Bible teaches us that God commands, but it also teaches us what God considers priorities. This passage in Isaiah illustrates my point, I think, I refer to the 58th chapter of Isaiah, verse 3 and following. It says, We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We've been very hard on ourselves and you don't even notice it. I will tell you why I respond. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. This is God talking here. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes. Is that what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? No, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. The point is that fasting is useless when you ignore the more critical commands of mercy. Some of the most religious of our spiritual forefathers were slave owners. Some, I expect, even cruel slave owners. These men and women may have been very scrupulous about a number of things, but their pride or their greed, whatever it may have been, shut their eyes to the evil of owning other human beings. God said through Isaiah to free those who were wrongly imprisoned. Religious sinners sometimes use religious rituals as a salve to their conscience when they have broken God's heart. Matthew 23, Jesus speaking to the Pharisees says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are things you should have done without neglecting the others. Do you see that? Yes, tithe in great detail, but if you focus on that as the essence of godliness, my friend, you have a misplaced emphasis. There are commands of God that Jesus here calls the weightier provisions. There is justice and mercy and faithfulness, to name just a few. And this is why I suggest we not get upset about folks failing to dot their theological I's or cross their ritualistic T's if that person is full of love and zeal for the honor of God. Jesus blasted the Pharisees in this way, you blind guys who, guides who strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. That is, they focus on little things and miss the big ones. Graphic depiction of what many religious folks, folks like us, surely do at times. Listen, I, I'm all for detailed obedience, 
but it can be overdone, especially if it leads you to have a myriad of unbending rules. The Bible teaches us, directs us to weigh principles that sometimes do come into tension. Judgments have to be made. The last few months have presented plenty of opportunity to make tough judgments that balance or seek to balance biblical values. We value life, but we also value freedom. We value health, but we also value property. But clearly, well-intentioned people land in different places as they weigh differently those values. So life in a sinful world is often complicated. Our passage says in verse 9, Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to destroy it? And then after looking around at them all, Mark's gospel, by the way, says Jesus looked at them with anger, grieved at their hard hearts. But do you wonder, by the way, if it's ever okay to get angry? Sure it is. Christ was angry at this corrupted religiosity that was not being driven by love. He looked around at them and said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was miraculously restored. And then what happened? Well, of course, everyone fell down and worshiped God, right? Nope. This world often does not make any sense. It says instead they themselves were filled with rage and discussed together what they might do to Jesus. Wow. Mind-boggling, isn't it? Our world is this broken, friends. The most loving acts, the most wonderful deeds are sometimes met with ingratitude and hatred. And, and we must note that the persecution of the healer came from the religious crowd. Now, that, that would be us. I mean, here we are. You're watching church on Line. We must be the highly religious types, even if we don't like the word religious. The message of this story and the words of Jesus for us speak to us and remind us that we are to be people of the Spirit, not bound by human rules and human traditions, but people of the truth, not confusing our own perspectives with God's perspectives, keeping the main things the main things and letting the Lord's Word inform us what those main things really are. In 1 Corinthians 15, the apostle directs us to the main things of our faith. And there we read this. He says in verse 3, I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. The atoning death and the resurrection of Jesus. Because this is the main thing. Our Savior also gave us the Lord's Supper as a way to keep the, gospels, the gospel realities of his death and his resurrection fresh in our minds and hopefully fresh in our hearts. So let's prepare ourselves to share in that remembrance now. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word directs us to those things that are most critical for our souls. And we rejoice today in the gospel of Jesus, in his atoning death on our behalf, that he is risen and ascended and is now ruling and reigning graciously as king and as the eternal judge. We thank you as well for the lesson of this story, for the power of Jesus 
to heal, for his incredible wisdom as well. And Lord, we pray that we would grasp what he was trying to convey to his disciples, that our focus is to be on the commandments that we find in your word. Give us attentiveness, alertness to how, Lord, we have picked up ideas that are not consistent with the Scripture. And enable us, Lord, to be free of them, that we can serve you with a full heart, focusing on justice and mercy and faithfulness. Be with us now as we share together around your table and thrill our hearts with your forever love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.